Welcome back to Mom Material. Today, we are very blessed to have Margie Sims on the podcast. She is a Christian speaker and author of the book, Launch, Preparing Your Kids for Takeoff. She's also a wife and mother of 10 children. The first conversation I had with you, Margie, I was seriously so struck by your love of Jesus and your wisdom. I honestly could have talked to you for hours. Um, I know you're super busy, but I really was so thankful for that opportunity to speak with you because you are so wise. And I, I know that a lot of moms out there can learn a lot from you and be inspired by your faith. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a delight. To start, could you share a little bit about yourself, where your kids are now, and your motivation for writing this book? Okay, well... I am a a mom of 10 who I've had that that dream in my heart since I was just a kid of having a large family because I'm the youngest of eight, but I didn't grow up in a Christian family. There was a lot of conflict in my family. So after I committed my life to Christ at nine years old, I started thinking when I grow up, I'm going to have a, a bunch of kids and we're going to be a Christian family. You know, and to clarify, my parents both loved me. I was their baby. But, you know, they didn't know the Lord. They didn't pretend to know the Lord, which, you know, I I was kind of glad we never went to church on Sunday morning because I, after what happened on Saturday night, I would have been uh, confused. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. They they were who they were, you know, Mm. and and they both loved me very much. But um, it it was not a Christian home. I did know that. And I I wanted, um, after I became a Christian at just nine years old, more than anything, I wanted a lot of children and um, Mm. a Christian home. And God has granted me that. He has granted me that. Um, My kids are ages 12 to 36. So they're 25 years apart from start to finish. Um, I had four in my 20s and four in my 30s and two in my 40s. And I I thought I was having so much faith having those kids in my mm-hmm. 20s and 30s because my husband and I both felt we should accept all the children that the Lord sends. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying anybody else has to do that, but that is what he, <laughs> that's what he led us to do. Uh-huh. But the two in my 40s were very challenging because I started miscarrying um, some. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hear all kinds of things having babies in your 40s, but had my first one at 21 and my last one at 46. Mm-hmm. So, um, and what stages of life they're in. Um, let's see, my oldest lives in Minneapolis and he is, um, he's got his master's in aviation. He's an airport developer for um, a company there. Um, my, my second uh, child is a girl. I have five boys and five girls. Um, she lives in DC. Um, and, um, she and her husband live there and, um, and they both work full time. She just got a new job actually that she starts in a few weeks. Um, my third one is in the army. And um, he went to West Point and he's in the army and um, just about to move to Texas. Uh, but then he's the one with the three grandchildren and we live very close to them. They're coming to Aww. see us this weekend and we're getting ready for them to move to Texas, which Aww. makes us sad because yeah. we're kind of close to him now. But we, we know that, um, 
you know, he's in the army. So we knew yeah. that, that that would happen eventually. And my fourth one, he also went to West Point and he um, is also in the army. He's about to go to ranger school and then he'll move out to Kansas. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see, my next one is in the Coast Guard. My girls went to the Coast Guard Academy. Mm-hmm. One's in Guam and um, one is in New Jersey, Cape May, New Jersey. And so they're both XOs on their ships. Wow. Yes. And then my seventh one is about to graduate from college. He is Army ROTC. So he'll be an officer and um, he's not sure where he's going yet. And then let's see, my eighth one is in college at University of Alabama. You can tell that I'm from the South. We're from Tennessee. Um, She uh, is in, we lived in Alabama when she when she got into Alabama, that's where we lived. And um, then she started in Alabama and then we moved. <laughs> we moved out to Massachusetts, but she's still in Alabama. So um, she's in her second year there. And then my last two are at home. I have one who's a junior uh, at, a, at the local high school here. He's planning on, he wants to be a doctor. So he's trying to, uh, you know, prepare for that, taking all the tests that you got to take. And then my youngest is 12 and she is in the sixth grade. That is impressive. Oh, thank you. It's uh, a lot going on at once. And uh, it always has been, though, for a very long time. Somebody said, you know, you got ABCs, but you got SATs. It's it's every season at once for many years. But now, you know, now that I'm just down to two at home, that is quite a different, um, quite a different season. Yes, I can imagine. And just, it might feel like a breeze just having two at home, or maybe it's not with everyone spread out and you don't have the immediacy of everyone being there. Yeah. I'll tell you what my mentor mentor told me. Um, When I was a young mom, I went to something called uh, uh, Moms every Thursday morning. For eight years, I sat under a woman, Jean Stockdale, and she said, Ladies, when your kids are little, you have to um, find the time to mm-hmm. breathe and to have a moment to yourself. She said, but when they grow up, the challenge is being a good steward of your time. Wow. And that is true, especially after all these years of, um, of being a mom mm-hmm. and being so busy from, from sunrise to sunset. Yeah. I, I, I've never been hesitant to take a little time every day for myself, you know, over the years, that's we moms, we have to do that. Mm -hmm. But um, I have to make sure now that I don't take too much time, you know, that I'm busy and productive. My my husband will often ask me, well, how can I pray for you today? And I'll say, Uh pray that I have a productive day. Yes. And so, and I never thought that I would be the one after they all, because I took care of my mother-in-law for 11 years also. Mm-hmm. And so after they uh, they all went to school, I took care of her for a few more years, but then she passed away. God bless her. And, um, mm-hmm. but, and I, I had to find, I had to find my footing again. I, yeah. I was a little bit lost after that, after being so busy for 30 years with preschoolers and the caring of my mother-in-law, I really had to regroup. Definitely. And it seems like every age has a different season of life that comes with it. And especially as you're navigating that first age, right? Like for the, for the first child, like, yes. whoa, this is, this is what it's like to have a 13 year old and they're going to yes. middle school and they're changing. I know you talk a lot about that in your book. It's true. I tell my oldest son, you know, I had him when I was 21. I, I, I remind him sometimes, you know, we grew up together. <laughs> 
I really feel like that with Isaac. I am just learning so much and it's, it's exhausting mentally, but it's so rewarding. Yes. And so you, you have like three decades, right? Of, of motherhood under your belt. I do. Three and a half. That's true. And so you've probably had a lot of reps at trying different parenting strategies over those three and a half decades. So in your book, you mentioned non-negotiable, no compromise parenting strategies being one of the secrets to motherhood when women come up to you and they're like, you have 10 kids, what's your secret? So I was wondering if you could share two that you believe are universal and are most important. Okay, well, you know, I will just share what my mentor, again, I sat under her for eight years, her teaching. And one day when I went, I was really wondering what really matters, Mm. what really matters, because, you know, we as moms, we can get really bogged down um, in, in, in everything or anything and focus on the wrong thing sometimes. And I didn't want to do that Um, because my house was a mess and my library books were late and I just really needed to know what really matters here. And so that, I think it was that very morning that I sat down and um, in, that, in that chapel. And she said, ladies, I want to tell you today three things that you must never tolerate from your children. Three things that you must consistently and swiftly discipline for. She said, I call them the three Ds. It's deceit, defiance, and disrespect. Deceit is when they lie to you, of course. Defiance is when they refuse to obey you. And disrespect, we all know what that is. You know, that's when they they smart mouth you. So I thought to myself, I think I can remember those three things. My oldest was in the fourth grade. And I had six children when she said that. Now, and that was, you know, that was a long time ago. That was 25 years ago. And now I have the hindsight of launching eight kids. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, my library books are still late. When I moved here, (laughs) I went to the Fairhope Library. We moved here from Fairhope, Alabama. And and when I moved here, I had to go, I'll turn all my library books in. I owed them $21. (laughs) (laughs) My library books are still late. The kids' rooms are still messy even though I have two and no baby and no toddler anymore. But the three Ds are intact. I got a hold of those three principles. And they really are enough. They really are enough. I'm not organized. I'm not a decorator. I'm not a great cook. But I I am present and I am consistent in my mothering. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think consistency and structure are always super important when we talk about raising children. Yes. That's the biggest thing that, that mothers uh, that are far beyond my years have instilled in me and encouraged me to, to set forth uh, for Isaac and for the rest of the children that hopefully the Lord will give us. But just having a consistency and them knowing what to expect from you. Like they're not guessing what mom's going to want from them. They already know. Yes, it's true. And I, and I remind mine, I'm reasonable. I'm a very reasonable mom. I'm yeah. not demanding. But I can get unreasonable if you get unreasonable, you know, and they know what that means. They know what that means. Yes. Yes, definitely. And so I'm just, I'm incredibly impressed 
obviously that you have 10 children. So as a mom of one child, Mm -hmm. I feel like I can barely get anything done. So with 10 children and so many tasks and such a demand for your time, how have you learned to strike that balance between productivity and presence? Well, the first 10 years, my oldest was 10 and my youngest, my fifth one was newborn. They're 10 years apart from one to five. And I, I didn't get much done during those years. I just wanted to get what mattered done. You got to feed them. You got to have a halfway clean house and you have to make sure they have enough sleep. I always tell moms, manage their sleep and manage their food. And I Mm -hmm. have to throw in their screens today. Mm -hmm. And that's half the battle. Yeah. So those three things quickly became my priority. Now, after the, the first five, because, you know, a 10-year-old is not old enough to, to watch the kids. So we all went to the grocery store. You know, I homeschooled for a few years. And during those years, I would take five kids with me to the grocery store and everywhere else I went. But eventually, the oldest one gets old enough to babysit. Mm-hmm. And then you have a little flexibility. It really changes. The first 10 years, very different from the next 10 years. And that, mm-hmm. that, that applies to any mom, you know. And no matter how many kids you have, the first 10 years are very different from the next 10 Mm. years. And that's a challenge for me, seeing that what I'm doing is productive, right? Like constantly doing the diaper changes and and feedings. And it seems like I have this never ending routine and finding that that's really meaningful. Even when this little person isn't able to respond to me in ways of, of the English language, but he knows and he's picking up. Yes. But other people might not know and almost dying to that, like dying to notoriety or um, being famous in other people's eyes. Like no one really asks you what's going on in your life because as a stay at home mom, like that is my job. But no one doesn't, it doesn't yes. seem interesting to the world a lot of times. Yes. I struggled with that. I sold my first magazine article when I was mm. 24. And then I sold my second one right away. And I had always liked to write. And I was hooked. I wanted to be a writer. And um, so for years, I wrote for magazines. But at first, I really, after I sold those two articles, I really immersed myself in writing and sort of dabbled in parenting yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because I wanted to be a writer and I realized, okay, I I, I actually, and this story's in the book, but I actually was standing on the football field um, watching my son Mm -hmm. practice. And uh, I said, boy, this football practice sure takes a long time. It takes a lot Mm -hmm. of time. And she said, you know, it does. But the real challenge is getting them home, getting them in the shower, getting their homework done and getting to bed on time. And, you know, I am not going to throw chicken nuggets and French fries at my kids Mm -hmm. every night. And, you know, you can you can crack an egg in the morning as fast as you can pour a bowl of cereal. I didn't know who I just met that that mom. I don't remember what she looked like. I don't remember who she was, but she embraced motherhood and that she's I came away from that practice. I was convicted. I realized, okay, this woman embraces motherhood. And you know, you have to embrace it or it's going to lick you. <laughs> you, yes. you when there's freedom in embracing yes. it and saying, okay, I'm it. There's nobody mm-hmm. else. This is my job, my responsibility. And I love my kids. I yeah. want them to, to grow and thrive and you yeah. embrace it. And then I started writing only at nap time, mm. uh, you know, a couple hours a day. 
and uh, that's when I really started meeting my goals of writing for Focus on the Family, and and I got a blog going, and then my husband said, why don't you make turn your blog into a book? And, you know, that's when I really started uh, finding the success that I found. And and I'll tell you something ironic, Brandy, is since the kids have moved out and my mother-in-law has passed away, and I have six or seven hours every day, I have written less than I ever did in those years. Isn't that funny? What? I know. That it's is crazy. crazy. I hate to admit it, <laughs> but it's true. It goes back to what my mentor said. Um, managing your time is the challenge in this season of life. And I think that story is so powerful because when I was reading that entry in your in your book, she also made the comment, well, if they weren't here, they're going to be playing video games. That's right. Yeah. And that was a long time ago. That was before video games yes. was such a big thing. Yes. And you're like, man, I don't, I like, I want to give them the opportunity to create relationships for you to get out there as a mom and create relationships with the other parents. And that was really powerful in, in your whole book. I, I do remember that, that story. Cause I'm, I'm like, man, am I embracing my role? Mm. Am I, am I the one that's constantly complaining to other people? Am I really an advocate and an encourager of other moms and as my own role? Mm. for for my my child and my future children yes it it really was pivotal that day that was a very pivotal day and I didn't even you know I only had probably five or six kids I had no idea I'd have four more (laughs) (laughs) so um a lot of your story is God working in you and through you like your relationship with Jesus is so so important and I feel like when you become or when when we become moms I realized the seriousness of the responsibility that my relationship with Jesus would have for my child and the responsibility that comes with teaching him how to love the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul and with all of his mind so that he can make that choice for himself. It's not me pushing my faith on him, but him knowing, you know, this is, this is what my parents believe. This is real to them. And then making that decision, um, whenever he is ready, uh, if he is ever ready for that. So I'm just wondering what were some of the ways that you taught your children faith and how to love the Lord? Well, my husband, we, he reads the Bible every night and we rarely miss a night. It's his goal it, it takes about two and a half times for, for, per kid, for them to, to read the Bible every night. You get through it about two and a half times. And it's his goal mm-hmm. to make sure that he's read the kids the whole Bible before they leave the house. And of course, mm-hmm. now eight of them have left the house. And so we have the advantage of mm-hmm. hindsight here. But I remember when he started that, at first, I'm, and I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but at first I didn't participate. I would be cleaning up the kitchen. You know, we moms, we always have something we have to be doing. So I'd be doing the dishes or I'd go do the laundry. And um, then one night I said to him, you know, we really ought to have devotions. <laughs> and he goes, I read the Bible every night. <laughs> should join us <laughs> oh my gosh and, so, and i know not everyone's husband will be on the same page as that mm-hmm. and i guess if he wasn't i would like to think that i would i would read the bible you know to him every night but um i have to give him so much credit for that you know he he's so consistent and um he reads it just every night almost without exception so that is the main way is that that i think they see us as a team there you know um uh 
other than that, I, I have to say, you have to live it. You, it's caught, not taught. You know, your my mentor said, children will grow up and do what you do. Not the things that they see you do once in a while, like losing your temper. They will grow up and do what they see you do every single day. That's wow. what they grow up and do. So my kids, they see me. Of course, now my Bible's on my phone and I do remind them I'm reading my Bible when they get up <laughs> on my phone. I'm reading my Bible. And, and so, you know, we read it. We all read it individually in the morning and then uh, and then he reads it at night. But I will tell you this. Um, when your kids are little, even before they can read, my husband and I have tried very hard to establish the habit of them having their devotions. It's just mm -hmm. part of the morning routine. You read, you brush your teeth, you get dressed, you comb your hair, you read your Bible. And mm -hmm. we don't talk about it. We don't tell them what to read. We don't ask about, about it later. It's just the habit that you're trying to establish. But um, it's that reminder just every day. You know, this morning I asked my 12-year-old, she was sitting there. She loves that Warrior series by Aaron Hunter. And before school, she was reading it. And I said, Hope, have you had your devotion? And she said, I already have. And so there, that's what you want. That habit is there. She had her devotion before she came out of her room. And that's what you want. You want to establish that habit. Because largely, in my experience, they take that habit with them to adulthood. Mm. But they have to see you doing it too. You can't yeah. be over there saying, go read your Bible. You know, yep. and you're ignoring God's word. It's got to be something they see in Definitely. Yeah. Totally. And I love the autonomy that you're giving them. And I'm sure like age appropriate, right? Like you might have to sit down with the younger kids and help them through it. But once they get to a certain age and probably every age, you can give children a little bit of autonomy, still with structure, like what you were what you were referring to earlier. So yeah. I, I like that, that they can make it their own. It's not like, oh, mom's telling me to read John again. I got to go do that. It's, hey, like I really want you to read your Bible and whatever yeah. you feel led to do, you can do that. There's a devotional series. It's called God and Me. And I don't know the writer, but I think it's Warner Press. They make them for every age, starting at toddlers. And I just, I, I don't even, you know, I get my daughter. I just got her the, the one for, you know, now she's 12. She's 12 and a half. So, but for years she did God and Me with the little girl on the front and then the 10 year old. And, you know, I've, I've gotten a book for her each time and they're really good. They're good books. Yeah. And so um, I do help them out with a devotional sometimes, but I do remind yeah. them, you know, it's, it's not enough just to, you don't just read the story, make sure you focus on the scripture. So. Yeah. I really like what you said about having to live out that faith for your children. And the Lord is so gracious to us by giving us the Holy Spirit and directing mm -hmm. us and encouraging us, even when times get hard and we just cannot see the end. We um, can't see where our feet are going. And we really have to trust in Him that He is a good Father and He loves us and He has called us to do certain things. So I was really inspired by that story that you told when I asked you, like, how do you know when you're done having kids? There's so uh, so much out there in culture telling you what to do, what not to do. But in your own experience, how did you know when it was time for you to be done? Oh, yeah. I um, Well, first you have to know that because I was the youngest of eight in the family I was in, I always, I, I didn't know anything else other than a lot of people. You know, we weren't a Christian family, but to this day, my brothers and sisters and I are very close. And so, um, but I will tell you, 
I wrote in my journal when I was 17, I can see myself with 10 children one day. I can see myself with five sons. And now I have 10 children and I have five sons. And I think I, once I even wrote, I can see myself with five daughters. And so to go back and look at those journals that I wrote in 1983 and to know here we are, but I will tell you over the years, having one and then two and then three, and then you're announcing four and five and six and seven, and you get a lot of feedback that you don't necessarily want. <laughs> you, know, you get a lot of negative comments, even from family. But um, after we were about halfway through, I remember feeling like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. It's hard, you know, it's expensive. Um, I talked to my doctor when I went for one of my checkups. I said, is it okay for me to keep having children? And I, in my mind, I was saying, please say no, please say no. <laughs> and, and she said, yes, yes, your body knows just what to do. And, and you know, I, I, and I, as I was talking to her, I could almost feel God's finger tapping me on the shoulder saying, that is not my plan for you. Mm. Well, then I, that during that few weeks, I'd get in the car and Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today would say, children are a blessing. And then I'd go to church. We went to Bellevue there in Memphis, a gigantic church. And Adrian Rogers was the pastor. We had the privilege of sitting under him for nine years. And he would say, take your Bible and turn to Psalm 127. Behold, children are a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So I knew God was speaking to me. And I wrote in my journal, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I'm not very good at it. Um, it's expensive. It's messy. I'm exhausted. Well, the next day I wrote in my journal, last night I had a dream that there was a tree growing out of my kitchen table and there were, it was heavy with fruit and there were hummingbirds flying all around it. And when I opened my eyes, the spirit of the Lord said, the fruit of the womb is his reward. And I knew God was telling me that he had more children to send me. And so I told my husband that because we kind of took turns freaking out over the years. You know, he's, you know, he's, you know, he's still working. All our, most of our friends are tired. <laughs> he's still working. <laughs> God bless him. Um, but we agreed that, that that was from the Lord and that we should receive the children that the Lord sent. And um, so we had five more kids, you know, in my 40s, like I said, I, I did not think once because I started miscarrying some. When I got pregnant at 45 with my last one, I had miscarried the two previous. And I thought I didn't have the faith for it. I thought there's no way this baby's going to make it. But she did. She was full term. I had 10 big, fat, overdue babies. <laughs> so, you know, and I remember we would sit around the table at dinner and, um, I would, sometimes we would even say it over those years, not everybody's here yet. Mm -hmm. You could feel it. Not everybody's here yet. But after I had hope at 46 years old, I felt like everyone was here. And I, and, and, and I never, I, you know, I'd miscarried, like I told you before, but I never got pregnant again after that. And so, um, but it was hard. It wasn't easy. I don't mean to say it's easy. It's hard because you're, you're doubting, you're nervous after, in your forties, you know, um, but you, you, I just kept telling my, I told um, some people that were kind of, you know, being a little uh, pushy with me. I said, no, I have been a Christian since I was nine years old. And I know the Lord's voice like I know my name. And I know what he's telling me to do. And it wasn't easy, but I did it. And, and, it's, and, and of course, my husband was on the same page. You, you have to be on the same page there. So he has supported me. He's worked, you know, he's still working. He will be working for a while. So. <laughs> 
um, yeah, I really, uh, and, and I imagine how I would have felt if I would have opened those journals and said, I see myself with 10 children. You know, I felt like God would have said, well, if I, if I would have gotten my tube tied or something, which is what I was talking to my doctor about, which is when I felt his finger tapping me and saying, that is not mm. the plan for you. I feel like he would have said, well, that was not my plan for you, but, um, but we'll work with it. I mean, you know, the Lord is kind. So, and again, I'm not saying that everybody has to do that. I'm just saying that that's my story because sometimes it, it, the bottom line is surrender. Sometimes you're begging God for one, you know, or two, or your, or your next one. And sometimes you're, you're saying, Lord, really number eight, Lord, number nine, I'm 42 years old, you know, but the bottom line is surrender and trust, trusting him. Wow. Definitely. And I love your name for your last daughter, Hope. I, I think that's what we all need in those trials of yes. faith is hope in the Lord because he's there. He's present. Yes. He's with you. He's He's called yes. you to do this. And you know the calling that the Lord has placed on, on your life it's because true. you know what his whispers are to you. No one else might. Yes. Yes. And, you know, we had been through a rough patch there. Um. And when I got pregnant, pregnancy to us has always been a good sign, mm. a sign of God's favor. Because remember, yes. the Bible says children are a gift. So yes. when I told my husband that I was expecting, one of the first things he said was, if it's a girl, we should name her Hope. Oh. And that's where her name came from. Wow. Yeah. That's so beautiful. That is amazing. Going off of that a little bit, in the section on family in your book, you mention healthy family relationships are impossible without nine the nine divine. So what yes. are the nine divine and how have they practically influenced creating healthy relationships for your household? Well, that is the fruit of the spirit. It's in Galatians 2. And it talks about all the works of the flesh. But then the next passage is, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentle, gentleness, goodness, kindness, um, faithfulness, and self-control. And then it says, against such there is no law. So there's no law against those. And it is and, and I, I I wrote a Bible study and a talk called Filling the Fruit Bowl in Your Soul. Hmm. And I realized when I was writing that healthy relationships are impossible without those nine things. And I used to tell my girls, make a list of what you want in your husband, you know, because that's what my yeah. young pastor told me. Mm -hmm. but, but now I say, check for those nine things. That's all you need, mm. you know. And I think that it's a, that would be a good, uh, you know, I'm sure I've tried it. You know, I'm so out of the preschool and the elementary school years just about now. But focusing on one fruit a week or, you know, taking the fruit bowl and, and filling it with the fruit of the spirit. It's such a good tangible illustration for kids. It's a good visual. Definitely. I love that. And I'm going to start using that. That's amazing. <laughs> I, the fruit bowl of your soul. That is so good. Yes. Yes. It's amazing. I loved that when I thought of that or the Lord gave it to me, I said, oh, there's a fruit bowl in your soul. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you see it. You're like, I get it I now. I yeah. want that. <laughs> so speaking of family dynamics, you've also mentioned that you've been writing your next book about taking yeah. care of your mother-in-law. Yes. What have you learned from that process and how would you encourage someone in that same situation? Well, I tell you, I am no wimp. I, like I said, I've had 10 big fat overdue babies. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, um, but caregiving for 11 years, that took me to the brink. 
it, mm. it was so hard, even though my mother-in-law and I had a wonderful relationship from day one. And mm. I make sure that I t- tell about that in the book. I open it with, with how I met mm. her. She yeah. was nothing but kind to me from day one. She loved me. Her husband had just died uh, a year earlier. And, um, she, she told me more than once when you married my son and started having all these kids, you lit up my world. Oh, And so when she was about 80, she moved in with us and she lived mm-hmm. with us for 11 years. And, um, at first it was, she was so helpful and joyful mm-hmm. and she, for a while, every time I would announce another baby after I got about, you know, four or five, six, she would say, are you sure you should have another baby? But then it didn't take her long to say, you know what? You and Rob are just trying to follow God's plan. And mm-hmm. I am not going to criticize you for that. I am going to support you. Mm-hmm. And and my mother, of course, was always supportive because I was the youngest uh-huh. of eight. So she, yeah. I loved telling my mother about um, my next baby because she was always mm-hmm. happy for me. But um, my mother-in-law moved in with us when she was 80. And she lived with us until she was 91. And um, no, 93. Anyway, um, I would tell people in that stage of life to... Ooh, it, it, it's so hard. It's, it, it was, I think that's the hardest thing I've ever done. Hmm. Most because it affects you so much every single day. It affects mm-hmm. your, it's a, it's a game changer, you know? Yeah. And, it, and, and she was really supportive at first, but I, I will say this. When I went in to have my first baby mm-hmm. and that nurse, um, they, you know, the doctor delivered the baby and the nurse came to kind of educate me a little bit because it was my first baby. She Mm -hmm. said, remember, this baby is entering your world. You're not entering this baby's world. Mm -hmm. Well, that was helpful advice. In other words, get the baby in on what you're doing. Don't let the baby dictate everything. Uh Well, when my mother-in-law moved in with me, um, I remember I I still had um, my 10th one, wasn't born yet, but number um, eight and nine, they were just preschoolers. And, um, I remember saying, let's go to the mall and let the kids, we lived in Vermont at that time. And I said, let's go to the mall and let the kids ride the merry-go-round. And she goes, okay. And so we drove, you know, I packed the snacks, the diaper bag. I tried to, to be strategic about nap time because you don't want them falling asleep in the car. That was my big thing. Don't fall asleep in the car. (laughs) Um, And so I pulled in and as soon as I pulled into the parking lot, she said, I believe I'll just sit in the car. (laughs) And oh, I know, I know, I couldn't believe it. And I just took a deep breath. And so I said, okay, because I'd already promised them the carousel ride in the mall. So I took them in. And as they were riding the carousel, I I remembered that nurse's words Mm. that baby's coming into your world. Yeah. You're not in his world. So I I kept the same approach with my mother in law. Mm -hmm. She was entering our world. And I had eight kids at home. I was very, very busy. And, um, she had to get in on what we were doing yeah. instead of me trying to entertain her. I was trying to entertain yes. her by taking her to watch the kids on the carousel. <laughs> because she, you know, she was sweet. It was, I was trying to accommodate yeah. her, but I soon realized she can just get in on whatever we were doing. And she did. She went to every sporting event and she went to, you know, to, we went to the lake in the summer and the pool in the summer and she went along and, and that was good. Yeah. And how amazing to have multiple generations under one roof. I feel like that's still lost in our culture. Like that's pretty rare to have access to. So that's, that's really cool. Oh, it was a gift. The best thing she, she was so articulate. One night we were all sitting around the dinner table and she goes, 
there's so much love around this dinner table. I believe I could sell my seat. <laughs> I said, that is the best thing you have ever said. Oh, and the greatest compliment too. Oh, it was so great. And she would always encourage me. She'd say, you'll never regret staying home with these children. You'll mm. never regret it. And she, you know, she was an encourager. She really was. And how rare is that? You know, I feel like culture tells you, oh, you know, don't, don't, don't stay home. You know, you need to work and you need to, you climb that ladder and, and make more money and, and do all this stuff. So yeah. thinking about being that voice for someone else, whether that's your, your mother-in-law or just a friend, like you've got this, this is a yes. really, really an important role that you're playing in these babies' lives, even yeah. if they're not thanking you for it. Like it's very sacrificial. But they do. Do you know when they grow up? And they, I'll, I'll give you an example. My daughter went to the Coast Guard Academy and she, when she was a freshman, they call it swab. She was a swab. That's a freshman at the Coast Guard Academy. They have to do the trash and all the, all the yucky work uh, on a swab summer. It's like boot camp. And she, after two weeks, I get a phone call. And as I was writing that very post about, I think it was called Saturday Chores, Chore Day, she called me to thank me for making them do Saturday morning chores. And she thanked my husband. She said, honey, I mean, she said, dad, thank you for making us rake the leaves. Mm. And mom, thank you for making us do Saturday morning chores. Because as a freshman at the Coast Guard Academy, as, as a swab, we have to do all the work. And it's not hard for me. I know how to work. Some of the kids really get mad and it's hard for them even to take out the trash. But I know how to take out the trash because she's used to it. You have to teach your kids to work. You, you have to. That's going to serve her well for promotions, for favor, you know, for all of these things that might be hard in the moment, but you're refining her and making her better in the end. And so that's amazing that she, she called you guys and said that. That's so sweet. I know. I, they do thank you later when they realize what you've done, especially after they have children of their own. Yes. Yours is so little. You'll have to wait a while, but it does well, that's happen. Good. That's motivating. <laughs> So you dedicate a whole section of your book to friendship. Obviously, it's a very important topic to you. How do you build and hold space for your own friendships with such a demand on your time? Well, you know, that's one of my secrets is any phase of life, any phase of motherhood that I've been in, even now, I have, and we've moved all over. We live in six different states and everywhere we move, I go find the moms. I go find my people, you know. Um, because you, we can't do this alone. We, we have to have encouragement from other moms. Um, so yeah, friendship and you have to get past, we as women have to get past our messy house, mm. you know, or our house that may not be as pretty as her house. Mm -hmm. Um, it didn't take me long to get over that. I, I have a friend, <laughs> I have a friend who, when we lived in Memphis, which is where eight of mine were born, um, she was at the hospital for my second one. So then fast forward 20 years, maybe 22 years, we ended up in Florida and she lived in the next town over. So she was at the hospital for my 10th one. Oh, wow. It was so meaningful, but, and oh. we only lived in Florida for a year, but we, she and I just really hung around a lot together. Yeah. Because uh, we had raised our, our older kids together, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but she said to me once, I remember when I came over to your house and, and, and we, the kids and I came in and you scooped up some laundry off the couch and you said, here, 
sit right here. And I thought to myself, <laughs> she said, I thought to myself, can she not even get her laundry put away? Oh, no. But now I know. Now I, but it, it didn't take me long to understand because I never could get mine put away either. You know, <laughs> and it was, I, I've gotten to where I'm, I'm so, you know, like I said, I am not a decorator and I'm not organized. Um, and that's okay. You know, it, it doesn't bother me. I, I, I mean, I've been at it a long time. It bothered me when I was younger, but mm-hmm. just keep at it. If, if the hospitality part is hard for you, or just meet at the playground, you know, but whatever yeah. you do, make sure you are seeking out other women to meet with regularly. I, I, I did mocks. I didn't learn about mocks till I moved to Vermont um, because Bellevue, the big church, they had their own mom's ministry. That's why I heard my mentor every Thursday morning for eight years. But then when we moved to Vermont, the church we joined had a big mops, mops uh, group. There was three different meetings. They had so many women. And so for years, wherever we moved, I'd go find the mops. But then I aged out of that. And then I'd go to women's Bible study. When we moved here, I would go last year. I went to the women's Bible study um, every Tuesday morning. You know, you mm-hmm. just go find your women, go find your people. Yeah. And I like what you say about everything not being perfect. One, because we're never going to be perfect. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. Someone can find something that's wrong or find an issue or blemish or whatever. Uh, The thing that I've cherished the most about, we move around, we're a military uh, family. And so we move around a lot. And I understand what it's like to have to truly seek out your tribe and seek out your friends and and dive right in and be like, Hey, here I am. You know, I really need friends. I want to be your friend type of deal, but I've really cherished authenticity in Mm. friendships and not perfection. And when you, when you told the story about you picking up the pile of clothes, like that's authentic. Like you, like (laughs) it's just real. And, and I think there's something to appreciate about that specifically in friendships. Yeah, it's true. You, um, you ha- you have to stay at it. I always tell moms and I tell my own children, don't wait for everything to be perfect before you make your next move in life. I, I tell them, look at our family. We have never been a perfect family, but we have a big, beautiful picture. And that's what you have to keep your eye on is the big picture. That's so good. Oh, this is so good. So <laughs> oh, in your- I'm so glad. <laughs> In your book, you say the best gift that you can give your children is friendship with your husband. How do you and your husband maintain friendship and prioritize one another in the midst of all the moves and all the new babies? Well, I have to give him credit for that, too. You know, as a mom, it's hard for me to sit down. And um, so one morning I was I was bebopping along, getting breakfast, getting everything. And, and he said, you want to come over here and have coffee? And I was like, oh. I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. And he said, you know, let's try to have coffee every morning. And so, and I did. And so to this day, that was probably, I don't know, 12, 12 years Uh ago, 15 to this day, we have coffee just about every morning. And, um, that, and we, we have a date night every Saturday night. And I have to credit his mother for that. When she moved, gosh, even before she moved in, she would come over every Saturday night and bring McDonald's for our kids and send us out to dinner. She'd say, you have to take care of your marriage. Wow. And we, and we still do that to this day. We still go out every Saturday night. We don't have to have a sitter anymore because you know, they're seven, they're 16 and 12, but um, that uh, I have to give her credit for that. She planted that seed 
so many years ago. I bet it's been 25 years that we've been going out every Saturday night. And when, if, if we get slack about it, my husband will say, we've got to remember our date night. Let's not let that go. That's important. The other thing we do is we go somewhere every anniversary. We went, the first time we did it was our 10th anniversary. We had five kids, maybe not five kids. Maybe we had four kids, but we took the kids to my sister's and we went to Callaway Gardens in Pine Mountain, Georgia, and we rode bikes. All You can ride bikes all over the place there. And I can remember, it was the first time we'd ever gotten away together on mm -hmm. our 10th anniversary. And I can remember us riding bikes and me thinking, I don't even know him, you know, <laughs> because we had had baby after baby yes, and we yes. talked about it and we connected and yes. we decided we were going to make a, that a tradition that every anniversary mm. we go somewhere. Now, sometimes our anniversary is May 31st and some of mine were born in the spring. Sometimes we're taking the baby with us because I'm nursing, uh -huh. you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to. We've done it. I don't think we've missed uh, a year, even if it's just one night to a local hotel. Totally. And when I notice that I'm busy, right? Like, so as a mom, I'm busy of one child. I can't imagine what that's like with 10 children, but it just, it is what it is. You know, it yeah. is your life and you got to figure out how to make it work. So a lot of the times you can get busy. And when I find myself in the task oriented mindset, I'm busy and I don't invest into my husband. I don't I find that we have less fun with each other when we're busy and when yes. I have this like reel of things that I have to do. And so that's really important when you're talking about we remind each other how to prioritize one another each and every week and those special occasions of yes. going out and having fun. Yes. It's so important to do that because, you know, when I was in your shoes, it's, um, it's so hard to do it. But you know, I think we always had supportive family. My mother-in-law would babysit and then the kids got old enough to babysit. But I think if you, even if you, your kids are still little, I think you should swap with a friend, mm. you know, form a group and swap where one of one couple gets to go out, you know, and the other ones will stay and yes. you can do that, you know, maybe twice a month or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. A, that's a good idea actually. Cause it, it is hard being a military spouse. Like Justin and I are here in Missouri for six months. Yeah. And so there's so much change going on. It feels like you unpack the house just to get everything put up and you're trying oh. to meet new friends. And I'm trying to take care of a three month old that like, I mean, I'm learning what to do. Like you oh, were saying, goodness. I'm growing up with you yes. and then you're expected to not expected, but like, I want to make friends. I, I want to, to do that. And trusting people. Like, I don't just trust anyone with my baby. Yeah, so, sure. so yeah, that I, I do really like that because finding a good babysitter is hard, especially yeah. in the military. But if you have a friend, like, you're going to trust them. Yes. Yeah. Even if you just put the kids to bed. Sometimes we would put the kids to bed and just watch a movie. Yeah. You know? Uh -huh. Provided they sleep and they'll stay down, but you know, it's, <laughs> you just have to keep at it. You, you yes. really do. It's just not easy. It's not uh -huh. easy at all. And it's like prioritizing your alone time with God, prioritizing the other most important relationship with your spouse and having yes. alone time with them. It's so true because, you know, we have been at this now for uh, 36 years, the parenting, mm -hmm. but we remind each other, it's just coming back to me and you. Yeah. You know, let's, and now we'll say, let's finish this thing. 
because I'll tell you in marriage, when I speak, this is what I tell moms. Life changes. It won't always be these kids under your feet. Mm. And somewhere along the way, your kids are going to you'll down the road, your forties beat up on you a little bit and your kids are teenagers usually by then. And you've usually experienced some loss and life changes, but hold on. I, I heard a man on the radio say, you know, during the depression, he was elderly. We always, we let the hard time bring us together, not mm. tear us apart. Yeah. And right just before I heard that man on the radio say that, or right after I heard him say it, we went through that chapter called Hurricane Elvis that was such yeah. a, a trial where I had miscarried and we lost our savings mm-hmm. and we lost so many things. And I remembered what that man had said, what I'd heard. And there was a reason I heard him say that. You know, yeah. that was our first real trial. So let those trials bring you together instead of pulling you apart. And then when you're when your oldest graduates from high school. You can look at each other and say, we're still together. And then <laughs> they graduate from college and you say, we're still together. And then they get married and you say, we're still together. Uh-huh. <laughs> that first grandchild comes and you say, we're still together. You know? yes. That is rewarding. That's rewarding. Totally. Um, on, the, on the last page of your book, you talk about motherhood being a marathon. Yes. And I, I think that that was a perfect answer to we're all running this race and they are like our husbands are teammates for life and that is one of the ways that we do get through this marathon yeah because it's hard and we each have to run it like your husband is running his own marathon yes side by side with you but you also have to run with your own two legs yes um so what i don't know is is there any other thing that you would say that helps you get through this this marathon of motherhood. Do you know, I want to hear well done, good and faithful mm-hmm. servant. And that, that's my number one motivator. I think yes. I, I want to hear well done. I want to see these children as the blessings and the gifts that they are. Yeah. Um, I don't want to complain. Um, I, I will say that I took my little Mary, she's 26 now, but when we were on the beach once, she was little and there, the red tide had come in and the eels, they, you know, the eels and the fish, they die when the red tide comes in. So there were dead eels all over the beach. And I was walking down the beach with Mary. She was maybe two and she went, stupid eel, stupid eel, stupid eel. And I thought to myself, oh, she got that from me. Stupid toaster, you know, <laughs> stupid car, stupid weather. Yeah. And I realized I griped too much. Mm. And then another time my husband, you know, God bless him. He said, I was griping about something. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, you know, that's, that's work for everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I decided I wasn't going to gripe anymore. Wow. I was just going to put my head down and do my work and be mm. thankful embrace motherhood. Mm. So one day, not long after that, I was cleaning the tub in that big Vermont house we had. We had eight kids in homes. It was an enormous house. I was cleaning the tub and you know, you have to practically get into those, into the bathtub to clean it. Uh So we walked in and he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm cleaning the tub. He said, you shouldn't be doing that. Call a cleaning lady. So I did. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, don't ask me twice. But I thought to myself, it's because I stopped griping. 
I just mm. stopped griping, you know, complaining. Um, that's, I think the first chapter in my book is about complaining or the mm-hmm. lack, you know, how we shouldn't do it. Um, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's not easy, but it's, it's, it's part of the fruit of the spirit, you know, the love totally. and the joy and the gentleness and the kindness. Um, and, and you think about people that you love to be around. It's, it's the people with the fruit of the spirit and the people yes. that are hard to be around are the ones that gripe all the time. So Definitely. I would say, yeah, I want to hear well done. And every day the Lord will give you new things to work mm-hmm. on. Sometimes he works in us. Sometimes he works on us. Um, mm. Sometimes he works through us. But yeah. um, I, and now at this point, um, I want to do for other moms what Jean Stockdale did for me mm. by teaching them. Because, you know, it, it, I just realized uh, just a week ago, and I need to write her a letter. I would not be the mom I am today if it weren't for her teaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, my mother, she was not a believer until the end of her life. And she was practical. You didn't sass my mother. She cleaned, she cooked, she did all the things that mothers do. And and I learned a lot from her. But but as far as motherhood through the lens of the Bible, I learned all that from Jean Stockdale. And I don't think I would be the mom I am if it weren't for her teaching. And it's made me realize, we've only lived here 18 months, and it's made me realize I've got to go find some moms to teach, <laughs> you know, because I want to do for other moms what Jean Stockdale did for me. Totally. Well, we are here and we are listening to you. And oh, so I, bad. man, I just keep on saying, wow, like, wow, there's just so much wisdom from you. Um, just depending on the Holy Spirit, walking in faith as you have these children, that is, that is of the Lord, right? Like you have to die to yourself. You have to truly depend on God to be able to do that. And so it is an act of faith. And I I really, really appreciate you sharing your journey of faith and being vulnerable because there's not a lot of good examples. There's not a lot mm-hmm. like the, like what you were saying. It, it's, it's hard to find someone who has walked the walk, who talks the talk, and who is real and authentic and loves the Lord. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many help self-help books out there about, you know, do this, do that. And I don't care. I, I don't care what other people have to say. I want to know what God has to say. And I want to know the people that are running in this marathon of life that are depending on God have to say. Mm. So I appreciate you for that. Oh, thank you. That's wonderful. Well, you know, we, we live in the Berkshires and it's very, very rural up here. Um, the, all the churches are small and um, I'm, I'm really desiring to try to, um, to, to find a group of moms to teach. And so I really appreciate your words um, that it's needed. And, 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 and moms like you need some encouragement and direction. I know I needed it. I tell you what, I, I would, I would come crawling in there every Thursday morning, <laughs> just desperate for a yes. word. I remember, yes. and I'll never forget that. And yeah. so let me tell your listeners, I just started a website, authormargiesims.com. I just, I just put it live like yesterday Um, and I'm going to um, to start updating it. And I hope to write some devotionals and put them up there. And I also have an Instagram. So um, yeah. So find me because I would love to, I would love to, um, I was even, I was even thinking of doing an online um, by, you know, bi-weekly chat or something. Yeah, all the moms out there that just want to get together and talk because isolation is really a problem yes. today. 
with yes. the mom, you know, since COVID mm-hmm. and the screens, the technology, totally. it's really hard to put yourself out there. And we as military spouses, we feel that we are brought to places that our husbands uh, need to go, not necessarily that we choose to go. And I, I so feel that need for myself and for the women that I know. Um, so I, I, I would love to be in this chat week, weekly by weekly chat. Okay. Whenever you do it, you just let me know. And I can also put your information on the show notes so people can just directly click on that and then find you. And um, where can people find your book? Well, my book is on Amazon and on barnesandnoble.com. And Walmart picked it up for a while, but I'm not, I haven't checked lately to see if it was on at Walmart, but, um, or if you want an autographed copy, they can reach out to me and I, okay. I have Venmo and, um, yeah. So thank you. It would be, uh, yeah, Mother's Day's coming. So that's a, that's a, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a great gift to give. Yes. Yes. So. Well, thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, and truly for loving Jesus so much. I think it's such an inspiration and I I need mentors. And so I look at you as a mentor and learning so much from you. And so I'm excited to follow uh, you and what you do and your all the books that you write. So thank you so much for just sharing with the world your story and taking the time to to talk to me. Well, thank you, Brandy, because it's, you know, without you, it's hard to get the word out. Yeah. So I appreciate you asking me um, um, to be on the, the podcast. I really appreciate it. I haven't I haven't done much since the book came out and I'm ready to do something new. And so God bless you for that. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to rate the show and write a review to let me know what topics you're most interested in. Thanks for listening.